0: You're listening to The Light Weekly, the weekly podcast ministry of The Light KC. If you would like more information about our journey to reimagine church, visit us online at thelightkc.org. You know, there is nothing like having a child to make you realize how quickly time moves, right? I mean, like, I even, I even was just talking this morning, like, they say that when you're a parent, the days are long, but the years are short. Can any parents relate to that? Like, I saw a tweet the other day, I know I shouldn't be on Twitter, it's awful, but I saw a tweet the other day that said, having a kid makes me realize that it's possible to be so excited for 7 p.m., and yet, love someone with every ounce of my being. I was <laughs> like, you know what? That is so true. Like, it's exhausting, but it is wonderful, and it just makes me realize how quickly change comes. Right? I mean, just six months ago, I had this little baby who was just learning to pull herself up. Right? She was. She had just turned one. Really, almost exactly six months ago. She was just pulling herself up. She would maybe take a few steps. And now before service there, she was running out around in the lobby and I can barely keep up with her. She, you know, we've got dogs at home and she'll run with the dogs and she's just this crazy little tornado of a one and a half year old. And then even bigger change a year ago, I was only giving her a bottle and milk. And now here she is eating solids Making our dog so happy when she doesn 't like her food, <laughs> and I mean, just change is inevitable, right? I mean that 's just a fact of life i don 't need to tell you how much the world has changed in the last five, ten, even twenty years i can 't go much further than that because I wasn't around for it, but you guys know you guys have lived this in the same world that I've lived in, you know that change is inevitable. Politics are different. Sports are different. Relationships are different. Church is different. The economy is different. The reality is you and I are different. We're not the same people we were five years ago, or at least I hope we're not, right? I mean, the idea is that every year we change, And not all of this change is bad, right? Some of it is really, really good. Some of the technology, even given my little laptop mishap just a few minutes ago, technology advances in the last 20, 30 years, even the last century. Some of them have been really incredible. Not all change is bad, but in a world full of change, it can be really hard to know who and where our anchor is. Right. If, if we can't trust the economy to be good all of the time, <clears throat> if our family dynamics <clears throat> can change at any time, if even our churches can change at any time, I know you guys know what that's like. How do we know where our foundation lies? <clears throat> if everything, <coughs> excuse me, if everything that the world tells us to trust can change at any moment, how do we know who to trust? You see, in the midst of a constantly changing world, we need something to hold on to. We need something to stand firm on. And this is church. You guys know what I'm about to say that foundation is, right? We need to know that Jesus Christ is our foundation. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give us roots that go deep enough to weather any storm. And I think when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians, I think that's what he was getting at. Oh, thank you so much. When he said, In Colossians 1, we're going to be in Colossians 1 today. We're going to kind of be jumping around in there. If you want to follow along, you're more than welcome to. But if not, we should have the the verses on the screen or I'll read them out loud. But in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18, Paul writes this He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme before all creation. For through him, God created in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. God made all of it through Christ. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together and Christ is also the head of the church which is his body he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead so he is first in everything you know one of the most challenging parts about being a pastor is finding ways to say things better than what's already been written because I think we could just end right there, right? <laughs> I mean, Christ is the invisible, is a visible image of the invisible God. He is supreme over all creation. What else do we need? You see, through Jesus, we are transferred into his kingdom, where we grow in his joy. Change is inevitable, but we can choose to change, to become more and more like him. Christ is supreme. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, when we read about Jesus in the Bible, when we read about how over and over again he would reach down and touch the untouchable and love the unlovable, and when he would condemn those who think they had it all together, when we read about Jesus doing all of these things, that is God himself reaching down and loving the unlovable and condemning those who think they have it all together. There is nothing and no one higher than him. He is the head of the church. He holds creation together. He is the standard of perfection. The only way to measure whether or not something is perfect is about how close it comes to Jesus. That's how you measure perfection. And yet, even when we describe this amazing, wonderful Jesus who is above all and in all and through all, he is also available to all. Just like Curtis was saying, anytime we can call on the name of Jesus and he is right there. He longs to be known by you and me. Not to get too cheesy here, but he literally died. He's literally dying to know you. So let's back up a little bit to uh, verse 13 of Colossians 1, where it says this, For he has rescued us. You don't get rescued unless you're in danger. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You see, Christ has rescued you and I from darkness. He has taken us from a path that led only to sin, suffering, and pain. And he has literally moved us to a path that leads to hope, life, and joy. That's what it means to have Christ as our King It means that we have value, we have worth, we belong, we are treasured for who we are, not who we think we're supposed to be. Did you hear that? You are treasured for who you are, not for who you think you're supposed to be. You see, Having Christ as our king means that we have a king who has seen us at our very worst. We have a king who knows those moments that we would give anything to take to our grave. Where we would give anything just to keep it a secret. He sees the pain caused by us and he sees the pain caused to us. The sin that we've done and the sin others have done to us, he sees it and he washes it clean. I've already talked about my baby girl a lot, but back in, one, or back in July, she turned one. And <clears throat> for her one-year-old one appointment, my husband had the joy of taking her to that doctor's appointment where they poked and prodded and gave her all kinds of immunizations that I know deep down <laughs> are going to prevent more pain in the future. But in that moment, as, as my husband was telling me about how he had to hold her down and how she was crying and how the first one was okay and then she realized what was going on and then they had to keep poking her. I would have given anything in that moment to take every single immunization, every single shot, every single medicine and cough syrup and everything in the world if it, might, if it meant my baby never had to experience that pain again. I would do it in a heartbeat. If someone can figure out how to like get that technology, I'll do it. I hate needles, but I would do it for her. But of course, it's easy for me to say that in the hypothetical because I know that's really never going to be possible. But what I talk about in the hypothetical is what Jesus did for real. Jesus took the pain and the suffering of the cross, of, of all of the pain and suffering in the world, not just ours, but those who have hurt us as well. He took it all so that we don't have to. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. And then Paul goes on in verse 19 of Colossians 1. And he writes this For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything, in heaven and on earth, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless, holy and blameless as you stand before the King of Heaven without a single fault. All of us have messed up. None of us deserve to stand before the perfect King of Heaven without fault. And yet, because of what Christ did on the cross, that is exactly the privilege we are given every day. Christ has made peace with everything. We were His enemies, and now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ. But you see, here's the problem. So often we believe that that's great and we can sit here and we can say amen and we can believe that like in our heads we know that Christ indeed has forgiven us. And yet when it comes down to it, when, when we're laying in bed at night and we're replaying the day or the year or when, when those memories come And we remember the pain that we caused. It's easy to think, surely not that. Surely Christ didn't forgive that. Sure, God can forgive you, but there's no way he can forgive me. I'm here to ask you this morning, do you really think you're so messed up that God can't forgive you? Because what we just read says that that's not true. What we just read says that God has reconciled everything to himself. There's a big difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is good. Guilt is like putting your hand on a hot stove. It's going to hurt, but it's also going to let you know that there's a problem. And if you continue to keep your hand on that hot stove, you're going to continue to cause damage to your hand. Shame is different. Shame only causes pain because what shame says is it begins to turn inward and it says, I am the problem, not the sin living within me, not my broken human nature, but me. I'm the problem. Psychologist Brene Brown says that shame is a focus on self Guilt is a focus on behavior. And what the enemy loves to do is he loves to take our guilt, and he loves to to just slowly chip away at the goodness of guilt and make it shame and say, yeah, you did that. You lied, so you're a liar. You hated, so you're a hater. You stole, so you're a thief. You refuse to forgive, so you're bitter. And he begins to use these sins that don't define us, and he begins to tell us they do. He's the father of lies, that's what he does. But God says, you have so much value that I died for you. So I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who needs to let go Of that shame and stand on the foundation of Christ and that when we begin to let go of our shame we begin when we begin to see guilt for what it is as a good thing that shows us that hey there's a better way when we, we begin to let go of the shame we begin to walk in joy You see, there's a difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is when you give me Chick-fil-A. Happiness is when I hear my baby's sweet, innocent giggle. Happiness is when my baby eats dinner and throws all of her food on the ground, and my dogs get to eat it, right? That's when they're happy. (laughs) But joy is so much deeper than that. Joy is a perspective shift. Joy is what comes when we see everything around us, including ourselves, through the eyes of God. Joy is knowing that even though this world hurts most of the time, God wins. Joy is seeing our neighbors, our coworkers, our families not as annoyances, or pawns to be used, but as people made in the image of God with infinite value. Joy is knowing that no matter what is happening in the moment, one day it's all going to be okay. We may not ever see the goodness this side of heaven, but one day God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. That is the strength that comes from joy. That is why Nehemiah was able to proclaim, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because there is a strength that comes from seeing everything through the eyes of God. It gives us endurance and patience because it allows us to see even hardships, even change, even uncertainty, even fear of the future through the eyes of God and to know that one day every pain will be made right. One day every wrong will be corrected and one day we will worship in heaven forever. And there will be no more room in our brains for worry and fear. And this is why the author of Hebrews encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because when we keep our gaze on the kingdom of heaven, everything else just falls into place. Everything else gets put into perspective when all we think about, when all we see is heaven. So this morning, some of us here just need to surrender to Jesus. I don't know, you guys, you guys don't know me. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ, or even if that walk has started yet. Maybe, maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've heard the gospel over and over and over again. Or maybe this is your first time here this Sunday. I genuinely don't know. But I do know that it is so easy to slip into just easy, does it? It is so easy to slip into complacency and for church to just become another thing on our to-do list. And so maybe some of us here need to surrender to Jesus for the first time, or for the first time today or for the hundredth, millionth time. Maybe we just need to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something. I'm confused. I'm scared. I really wish it didn't have to happen this way, but I trust you. I trust that one day you're going to make this all right, even if I never see it. Some of us need to accept his forgiveness and walk out of the shame. Some of us need to call Satan what he is. Tell him to get out of here, liar. Your lies don't work on me anymore because I know I'm a child of God. I know that I was bought by the blood of Jesus. My my identity does not come from Satan, but it comes from Jesus Christ. Some of us just need to accept that this morning. Maybe even stand up and say, I'm a child of God. You can't hold me down. I've got work to do. Right, because Jesus didn't do all of this just so that we can feel good about ourselves. He did it because we've got work to do. There's a whole world out there who needs to hear exactly what we just heard this morning. So as the band comes back up and we get ready to sing this final song, I want us to think about what is it that God is trying to say this morning? Do we need to simply accept what he has done for us? Do we need to simply just say, God, I'm done trying. I'm done trying to be good enough. I know I never will. So I surrender it all to you. Do what you will with me. Or maybe we just need to say, God, I'm tired of the lies. I'm tired of hearing that I'm not good enough. I'm tired of hearing that I'm not worthy to be called your son or your daughter. I'm tired. Today I accept your strength. So as we get ready to sing this song, I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to invite you guys to just commune with Jesus. I don't know what you've got to figure out with him, but if there's anything to figure out, now's the time. So bow your heads with me. Jesus, Father, Savior, thank you. Thank you for being a name that is worthy to be called on. Thank you for being available whenever and wherever we need you. Lord, thank you for being the light in the darkest of places. Thank you for being love in a world full of hate. Lord, as we accept your love this morning and as we open up our arms and surrender and just fall at the foot of your cross, God, would you, would you remind us that it is not just about us, but you did it because there's a world out there who need you. There are people in our lives who are desperate to know you. They don't know it, but we do. They don't understand why things just don't feel right, why there's just something off about the way they're living, but we do. So God, would you give us the courage and the strength to share what we have in love not to condemn but to bring joy Lord we love you and it's in your name we pray Amen Thank you for listening to today's episode If you would like to connect with us please visit our website at thelightkc.org More information is available in the show notes